go. He says, you'll have no other gods before me. No carved images. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, verse 11. Observe the Sabbath day, verse 12. But then he says at verse 16, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. See, notice what he's going to start doing here. He's going to start telling them, here's ways you think, think about me, and here's ways you should think about each other. Here's the way you should deal with each other. And when you treat each other the right way, when you live the right way before each other, it's going to lead to your best life. It's not going to be the kind of thing that doesn't mean you'll never, ever have a problem. You'll never, ever get sick. You'll never, ever get mad. It's not that. But if you want the best, most fulfilling life, if you want to do what God says is good for you, this is the way that you'll live. Honor your father and mother. That's not always going to be easy, but that's what God calls us to do. Don't murder. Now, that ought to be easier. But you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, well, you think you're doing great just because you're not killing anybody? Well, I'm telling you, don't hate anybody. Well, he keeps going. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. I skipped that one. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. These are the laws he's laying down. But then go over to Deuteronomy 6. And you're going to see how he's going to emphasize to the parents, you're going to teach these laws to your children. You're going to not only teach these things to your children with your mouths, you're also going to teach them by the way you live. You're going to lead your children by example. So Deuteronomy 6.1, this is the commandment. Here's the statutes and the rules. Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, Moses says, that you may do them in the land to which you're going. You're going to possess it. You may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life so that your days may be long. Look at uh, verse 5. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your might. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This should define who you are. This is what you know. This is what you teach. This is what you live. This is you. Now, drop down to verse 16. So 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently, listen to what he says, you're going to keep the commandments of the Lord your God. You're going to keep his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. Listen to verse 18. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Here it is. So that it may go well with you. In other words, you're going to keep these commandments for your own good. It's going to be what's best for you. So you may go in and take possession of the good land the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Drop down to verse 24. He's going to repeat that, that idea. Verse 24. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Listen to this. For our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Even Jesus, maybe flip it over in your Bibles, go to John 15. I want you to see that this wasn't just an occasion for the children of Israel. Even though this is so instructive to us, what he's telling us there in Deuteronomy 5 and Deuteronomy 6, what he's telling us in, we could keep going, Deuteronomy 10, and over and over he repeats the same thing. But what God is telling his people in Deuteronomy is this, if you'll listen to my commandments, if you'll obey the will that I've given you, it will be for your good. It'll be the best life. Not a 
Not a perfect, never once stub your toe, never once have a cross word with anyone life, but the best life that you could have. Well, Jesus is going to say something very similar. Look at John 15. In John 15, we could read a number of things. Let's just look at about verse 10. John 15, 10. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, so there's that same type of language, right? Sounds like Deuteronomy 6. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So I keep the Father's commandments and I do these things for Him because I love Him. If you keep my commandments, you'll be doing these things because you love me and we'll be in this harmonious relationship. Listen to verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So he says, I'm calling on you to keep these commandments, not because I'm a power-hungry tyrant, but I'm calling on you to keep these commandments because this is what's best for you. This is what's going to lead to the most joy for you. He goes on and he says in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends, and you're my friends if you do what I command you. A few weeks ago, on a Sunday night, we considered the will of God. We considered how sometimes it's, it's difficult to accept the will of God. Even Jesus demonstrated this. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26. If you want to refresh your memory, you can turn to Matthew 26. And there, not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus says, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. There are times when you're called to do challenging, difficult things. But here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he must go through with it to fulfill the Father's will. And he must do it, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that he was going to fulfill all glory and bring joy. Joy to all of you, joy to himself. By being the one who was the sacrifice and brought hope to the world, there was numerous opportunities for joy that would come from that. He would be fulfilled and you and I would have the opportunity to be fulfilled. So we understood what he was being called to do. But tonight, I want to think through something different, not just how sometimes the will of God is, is a, a challenge, as it were. we got to say, help me, Lord. Give me strength. Help me to, to embrace and love and do your will and not my own. What I just want to think about tonight is how good it is, how good it is for us to embrace God's plan, how good it is for us to, to seek to be obedient to God, just like we read about in Deuteronomy 6, that we will obey the commandments for our good. As we saw in John 15, that we will obey his commandments for the joy he offers us. Because there's going to be times where it's difficult. There's going to be times where we, where we don't understand. There's going to be times where we're, where we're really confused and upset about where we are. The question will be this. Do I trust him? Do I trust him to, for me to continue to be faithful? Do I trust him to, to say, I believe you, Lord, that when you say that these, these things you're asking me to do, these commandments you're asking me to keep, I truly believe and I trust you that this is for my good. Will we trust him to do what's good for us? If you go all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, it's a familiar passage, you know it well, but look at it just really quickly to sort of help set the stage for what we're going to think about here for the next minute. In Genesis 3, what Satan is going to get Eve and Adam to do, among other things, 
is Satan is going to get Adam and Eve to question God's goodness. Because see, that's one of the things that happens. If we don't say, this command, this command, this command, this isn't for my good. This is for my oppression. This is for my pain. This is for my to be pressed down and pushed down. This is for my suppression. This is not for my good. Genesis 3, read with me. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband also who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here's the issue. Would they trust God? Because God had said, don't eat. I've given you all of these things. You can eat all of these. It's not the fruit that's the problem. I've given you fruit to eat. You can have all these things. Just don't eat from this one. And here's why. It's not arbitrary. It's not random. Because you think, well, I'm allowed to eat fruit. And that's a fruit. So I guess I'm able to eat all of them. Otherwise, God's doing something. God's holding something back. God's not good. No, he said, I'm keeping you from this one for your good. Because when you eat from this, things will change and not for the better. So if you refrain, it will continue to be for your good. And so they said, well, if we don't eat, it's not for our good. So they're thinking this, would I trust God or do I trust myself? Because I'm looking at, at that tree and boy, it sure looks good. And you know what else? Not only is it good, but I'm, I'm hearing, I'm under the impression it can make me powerful. I'm under the impression it can make me take me to another level. And so not only does it look good, not only might it sustain me, but it might make me powerful. And so I'm going to have some because I trust myself more than I trust God. And then we see that the very thing that happened was a separation from God, the, the beginning of a, a painful death, the beginning of, of toil and pain and childbirth and all of these things. So many negative things came along from God saying, I told you this was for your good to refrain and it is to your harm to give in. So here's, here's a question I want to ask. Now I fully recognize that we are weak and we are frail and we are sinful. I fully recognize the truth and I don't have to go very far, but just look in the mirror. I see the truth of Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know how frail and weak and sinful I am. And so I know that you know the same thing about yourself. And so I'm not acting like that there's some kind of thing that we could do that all of us would be sinless. Because we have to have the blood of Christ to cleanse us. That's the only hope we have. But how different would the world look? How different would things look around us if we truly truly sought to put God's will and God's commands and God's plan first over our own. Let me give you an example of what I'm thinking about. What would the world look like if we actually followed God's plan for the family? If we actually said, God, what's your plan? God, what's your will? God, what's your desire? And to the best of our ability, we're going to carry it out. Let me give you a couple examples. You know this, but let me give you two places. Go to Matthew 19. Go to Matthew 19. Let's read together starting at verse 4. Matthew 19, 4. 
Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now just let that clear, unmistakable, undeniable, impossible to misunderstand passage sort of sink down in your brain for a moment and be turning with me to Ephesians 5. Because we're going to further cement those words. Ephesians 5, let's begin reading at verse 22. Now remember, we're reading this at a time of such selfishness. We're reading this at a time where the idea is just to satisfy every desire. But here's what God's plan says, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. His body is and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So just looking at Matthew 19 and Ephesians 5, just looking at these two passages, not even considering the other many things that are written in the balance of scripture what would the world look like if everyone followed god's plan for the family let's just think about some of the the scourges some of the terrible terrible things that are going on sex trafficking is there many things that are more deplorable than that stealing children and and putting them into a, a life of torture and pain well if everyone followed this that would disappear. There'd be no sexually transmitted diseases because of fidelity. There'd be no divorce because of fidelity. There'd be no kids torn from parents. There'd be no, no deadbeat dads. And there'd be more satisfied, thriving, fear-free children. There'd be more households that were financially secure. More households that were emotionally secure, safe, sound, happy. But too many of us are too selfish. And this is just one example among the thousands that we could list. What would the world look like? How different would it be if more and more and more followed God's plan rather than our own selfish desires? How many more people would be living thriving lives for their good rather than scrambling lives to their hurt? Let me give you a couple more examples. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, Peter's going to make mention, just like Paul would do in Romans 13 about um, the fact that if you're keeping the law, you don't have to fear what the uh, enforcers of the law will do to you. Well, in 1 Peter 2, listen to what Peter says about the connection between uh, being a law abider and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter 2, 19. 
1 Peter 2.19. This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What, what's the big reward you think you should get for being a lawbreaker and being punished for it? But, but, but being punished with, with great courage. That's nothing. He says, but when you do good and suffer, when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He kept trusting the Father. Even when he was praying, your will, not my will be done. This is hard. I want the cup to pass, but I trust you. He kept on trusting the Father. It says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you're straying like sheep, but you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If keeping the laws, think of the good results. Think of the harmony, think of the safety. You know, you keep reading about different cities. Uh, what is it? San Francisco, someplace like that. It's hard to imagine. It has to be like a movie. It can't be real. It can't be real that in this country that every store is closing down and you can't have a place of business because it's so dangerous, you can't park your car for three seconds without it getting busted into, that can't be real. That has to be a dystopian movie. And yet, it seems to be the case. But what if everyone said, I'm going to seek to live this way? Wouldn't it be safer? Wouldn't it be happier? Wouldn't it be more productive, more lucrative, more businesses, more money, more everything? It would be better if this is the way that we lived. No worries, no looking over the shoulder, no fear of getting caught. Just a clear conscience, secure, tended to, loved, appreciated. This is the plan that God has. But we know that self-denial doesn't come naturally. We know that putting the will of the Lord and putting the will of others first doesn't come naturally. It takes effort. But I want you to remember this. Go to Matthew 16 as we get ready to close for tonight. Go to Matthew 16. Because when Jesus says in John 15, keep these commandments, it's for your joy. When the Lord says to Moses and Israel in Deuteronomy 6, keep these commandments, it's for your good. Sometimes that's going to mean that we have to deny ourselves. Because we, what we think is the best thing and what God says is the best thing, sometimes is going to butt heads. Because sometimes he's going to say, this is the way to go. And I say, but I, I don't know, this looks pretty enticing over here. You know, God, the way I'm feeling right at this moment, the way things that I'm thinking right at this moment, this seems like the right choice, even though I know you've said, this feels right. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 24, Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be part of my house, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, whoever would put his own will first, will lose his life. But whoever loses his life, whoever denies self, dies to self, and live for me, whoever would lose his life 
for my sake, will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? One of the ways to think through this is this. There is not, and I've said this before, but now, Lord willing, I'll say it again if we're blessed with the opportunity. There's not one single act that's defined as a sin in the Bible that can be justified by me saying, well, that's just the way God made me, or that's just the way I am. Let me say it again. There's not one single act that's defined as a sin in Scripture that I can go ahead and say, it's okay for me because that's how God made me. You understand what I'm saying? If God marks something as a sin, I have to recognize that this is for my good and I have to deny self and stay away from it. You and I will face numerous situations where we have impulses and temptations to say and do certain things that seem right to us, but that God has clearly marked as sin. Proverbs 14, verse 12, the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. He would say in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, lean not on your own understanding, but trust him, follow him. He'll direct your paths. You can go through the pages. Romans 1 is a place that stands out where he gives just this list of sins down to, towards the end of Romans chapter 1. And especially in Romans 1, 29, he lists things like being covetous and being envious and being a murderer. None of those things are you allowed to say, well, I have this desire in me to be this way, and so therefore God must be okay with it. No, he says these are all things that must be denied. These are all things that must be refrained from. And so the desires for things that God has forbidden is actually a reflection of how sin has distorted me. It's not a reflection of how God has made me. And so when I reject God, I'm finding myself craving more and more and more of those things that God has said, you must stay away from this. Going all the way back to the days of Moses, God told his people that the commandments he gave were for their good. You want to live long in the, in the promised land? You want to stay here and have you know, bountiful fruit and a big family? and just stay, You want to stay here in the promised land? You'll keep my commandments. This is for your good for your thriving, for your satisfaction, for your joy. This is for your good if you keep my commandments. The same is true for us today. Do we trust the one who's asking us to obey? Or do we trust the one who's saying, it's not that big a deal. That's just the way God made you. It's okay. Which one do we believe? Because God is telling us that he's given us certain commands, whether it's in the Sermon on the Mount about the way that we treat each other, if it's about praying for enemies, if it's about being a peacemaker, no matter what it is, it's about the relationships in our homes, about the relationships with people we have outside, if it's about teaching the gospel, whatever it might be, when God says, this is what I'm calling you to do, this is who I'm calling you to be, you and I have to understand that he's saying, I'm asking you to do this for your own good. Keep these commandments for your good. And so, do we trust the one who's asking us to obey or do we trust the one who's saying it's no big deal? My prayer, and I know your prayer, is the same. What we seek is to glorify God. What we seek is to be obedient. And the wonderful, beautiful outcome of that is that God says, when you seek my will and you live for me, it's for your good. If there's any way that we can encourage you or help you, because let me tell you something, 
what's probably happened within, maybe happening right this minute. There's a, there's a young woman being baptized. Well, I don't know how old she is. There's a woman being baptized. Let me see what her name is. Stacy Smith. Stacy Smith is being baptized right now in the detention center. Uh, there's a handful of people that are over there this minute to baptize Stacy Smith into Christ so that her sins can be forgiven, so she can be cleansed, washed, made whole, so that Almighty God Himself can say, I take you out of the kingdom of darkness and I place you in the kingdom of my beloved Son. Welcome to the family of God. Your sins are forgiven. Amen? That's happening now. There's someone who said, I know the will of God and I seek to surrender self to live for Him. And now we're asking you the same thing. Will you obey God's commandments because they're for your good? He's calling on you to know Him, love Him, and obey Him even now while we stand and sing.